Loving Father, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are soft and supple by the power of the Holy Spirit to change uh, and be more conformed to the people you have purchased us to be. Amen. Amen. Uh, As a church, we've recently finished our autumn series from Ephesians 1, uh, where Paul revealed to us what the Lord's amazing big plan is uh, to head up the universe, re-head up everything under Jesus Christ, his son. He is the master of the universe. And if you are hoping in Jesus, then you are in him. You are in the divine family and you have been caught up into God's amazing plan. Jesus, the new head of everything, will be all the more praised because of his grace at work in you. We might think that that's uh, something that is Paul's kettle of fish in Ephesians 1, but here as we read John 17 and listen to Jesus's prayer, it's also, uh, it's the theme of what Jesus is about as well. Jesus is praying to his father about their big plan for the church. He's just finished the Last Supper with his disciples. uh, And now he's praying out loud in their hearing. He's prayed about himself. He's prayed about his first disciples. And now we today get to listen to Jesus as he prays for the future disciples like us today even us so firstly let's uh, see what jesus is praying for uh he's praying for the unity of god's people the unity of god's people please look down with me to verse 20 jesus says my prayer is not for them alone the apostles with him in in the room at that time alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So Jesus is there in the room with his apostles, his 11 apostles. And as he looks at them, he's also looking into the future and he can see the universal church, the church of all believers down the ages across the world who will come to believe in him through the apostles' message. He's seeing, uh, he's seeing the first believers in Ethiopia who perhaps came to trust after hearing the message of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Uh, he's looking ahead and he's seeing those, co- those first converts in India who perhaps came to believe on the back of Thomas's preaching in the first century. Jesus is playing for those first believers in China in the third century. And he's, he's seeing through those apostles the first believers in the British Isles in the second and third century. On his heart are the disciples in Sumatra, Indonesia, in the 6th century. And right the way down across the world, through the ages, to us lot, sitting in this room at the moment. 
Jesus anticipates our believing the old message, the gospel message, and he prays for us. He prays for you. Isn't that lovely? So let's see what he prays for. Uh, look with me at verse 21. I pray that all of them may be one father. Jesus wants and prays for us to have a oneness, a unity. Not just uh, with each other in our church, but with all Christians. Uh, not just those that are alive today, but those who are going back through the ages. Now, what on earth kind of unity is this that binds us together with people who are now dead? Uh, it's not an institutional or a denominational connection. Perhaps our, we often think ecumenical thoughts of churches being united together. Um, nor is Jesus wanting us to all have the same badge, Christians. No. I think the clue is in the next bit where Jesus prays in verse 21 that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus prays that we might be connected together to God just as he is. Just like Jesus is amazingly closely connected to God. The father in him and he in the father. And this is a prayer that was answered right on the very first day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit uh, was given to those converts from Persia, from Turkey, from Kurdistan, from Egypt, from Libya, from Italy. And Jesus' prayer was answered again when <coughs> dear Clive and sally Ann and Lydia and Florence and Yanis uh, and Wayne came to believe the gospel and were connected to God. Look down with me at verse 22 to 23. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. I think Jesus is remembering how the Father gave him the glorious revelation of the character of God. And Jesus passed it on to the apostles. Over three years, Jesus showed the apostles his glorious goodness, the glory of God. And he's shown it to us. We can see it for ourselves when we believe their gospel message written in scripture. It's this gospel that makes us one. That's why we said the creed together. It binds us together to God. Believe the gospel, friends, and you are connected to God. Along with all those old believers in faraway lands and ages. So... Jesus' prayer is an answered prayer. The spirit of Jesus is in each of us, just as he's in all who believe the gospel. I wonder how you feel if, uh, say, you're on a train and opposite you, you notice that there's someone who's uh, wearing a cross or has got a tattoo of a cross uh, on, their, on their arm. Perhaps it means nothing to them. But maybe they got it because, as a child, they heard the gospel message on a, a summer camp and believed it. 
and now have God in them, just like you who believe have God in you. And you have a profound, unbreakable unity with them that far outstrips any other connection you have with someone else on that train. Now, in that situation, we might be very English about it and obey the golden rule of public transport, not making eye contact or talking to that person. But how about our enjoying our gospel unity? Might we be able to say to them, hi there, I see you're wearing a cross. Um, Are are you a Christian? Uh, Let's be people who are excited about being one with other Christians that we meet. Yeah, it might be awkward, but hey, we might come away really wonderfully strengthened as we get off that train, having made much of the oneness that we have with others who believe the message. So I think this unity that Jesus prays for is something that we have, but it's also something that we make progress in. It's a bit like sanctification. Yes, we have been made holy, And we are being made holy. Both are true. And so in verse 23, we see Jesus praying for our progress in our unity. Look down with me at verse 23. Praise that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May may they be brought to complete unity. Brought to complete unity. We have unity with every believer in the universal church. But when we live alongside other Christians, we find tension. Just living with other people is hard, isn't it? Hey, we know it in our own families. We can find it difficult planning a a church barbecue with others. Or being in the same, on the same Keswick campsite as others. And we think, oh, he may be a brother, but why is he so inconsiderate? Why is she so stubborn and slow to admit fault? Everyone loves the idea of unity. Until it's really tested. Until we actually get to know each other. Have you had any painful moments with others in a church. Often we find it's just easier to check out of the relationship when it gets difficult and think, sure, she may be a sister in Christ, but um, we don't get on. And I think it's just better if I slightly keep my distance. It's a great thing to enjoy those simple connections with other brothers and sisters on a train. Uh, But let's not limit our ambitions for our life together in our church family. Let's not limit our ambitions to small, simple interactions that we might face on a train. Um, Jesus knows it's difficult for sinners to be close to each other. So he prays for our unity. Let's hear his prayer for us again in verse 23. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. So we have a real unity, but Jesus also prays that we'd make progress in our relationships and brought to complete unity. 
I think Jesus gives us two keys for when things are difficult in our relationships, in our church. Uh, They're both found again in verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. First key for help in our unity. Uh, Remember the glorious gospel. The gospel glory has come to us and says that we... And that troubling Christian brother have been loved by God, connected to God. And that keeps us from building a fence between us. How can I build a fence when we're both connected to God? Secondly, remember the glorious way of the cross. The humble manner of life that Jesus walked and that he has given us to us to follow as well the way of the cross so we're to come up after him deny ourselves take up our crosses and follow him this is the glory of the cross and it's been given to us walking this humble road will keep us from having a proud attitude of i am superior to her because whatever perhaps there's a a fence uh, or some point of pride that needs to be bashed down in our hearts this morning. The gospel of the cross is the key to our unity with God and with each other. So, Jesus prays firstly for the unity of God's people, and the second thing that Jesus prays for is the witness of God's people. The witness of God's people. Please look down at verse 21. When Jesus prays, That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus wants his people to be united, not just spiritually, but visibly. So that the world, looking on, would believe that the Father sent Jesus into the world. It's also there in verse 23, when Jesus prays for unity You look down, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. So Jesus is praying for the witness of God's people. On the train, maybe there's a student who overhears our conversation with that other believer. And he overhears the kind of warm way we get talking. And Jesus prays that this conversation would stop that student in their tracks. And rather than the student dismissing Christianity as divisive and intolerant, Jesus prays that the student would conclude that Jesus unites strangers in love and that he must be from God. The world talks a lot about tolerance and unity and love. But when relationships go sour in the world, what normally happens? What do we see in our workplaces? Name-calling, taken sides, fiery hostility or icy hostility. But in our church, let's lean into each other if things are difficult, if there's a relational problem. I'm very grateful for dear Pierre and Lindy uh, talking to me recently about a matter, uh, about something I said uh, to help me make progress. And that 
that kind of kindness and having a leaning into me, having a conversation, was something that I really cherish. It was a mark of uh, progress in our unity and love together. I think it's a witness um, to our, our neighbours if they're walking past our house. And what do they see? They might see warm hospitality going on inside in our sitting rooms as they walk by on the street. And we hope that they might come in and experience something of our mutual trust and our generosity in our church family. It'll be a powerful witness that Jesus has come from God. It'll be a witness to folks in the Westwood Farm School community uh, as they come to a barbecue and watch us carefully loving each other, watching us serve together. Um, I think our unity in Christ is visible in our mutual care in that kind of occasion. We used to live in Sheffield and um, there was a lady who lived on our street, Maggie. She wasn't a believer, but um, she used to see us sort of coming and going inside the houses of others in our church family and eating together, this sort of thing. And she, on a couple of occasions, said, yeah, talking about you lot, you lot, talking about us as a church, you lot. She could see our love, our unity, and well, we pray that she'll one day come into the kingdom. Over years, she'd put two and two together and seen one, oneness. Jesus prays unbelievers would come to see our unity and think, Jesus must have come from the Father because these Christians have a unity that is deeper and warmer than the short and shallow relationships that I normally experience. Jesus expects that practical unity points to Jesus' coming from heaven. Neither football nor classical music, nor a common political commitment has the power to motivate people to seek peace when a relationship breaks down. But Jesus motivates us. And it's this loving, peace-seeking unity in our church, in our marriages, that has persuasive power. Jesus prays for us to have persuasive power. And did you see in verse 23 how Jesus prays for another aspect of our witness? Verse 23, he prays that the world will know that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Imagine sitting on a bench in Arthur Newbury Park, watching a brother and sister eating a picnic together. And they're sharing the crisps and the brother gives his sister a last, the last toffee and they're showing the, the, the food out. And you notice how the, he's listening really carefully to her as they talk. I forgive you, you hear one of them say. I mean, it's, a, it's a lovely moment to witness uh, a brotherly, sisterly unity there. And he might come away and conclude, I bet those kids have got a great dad who loves them a lot and has given them an amazing model example of love. Well, that's us. And we pray, Jesus prays, that um, the world looking on would see our unity, our love, and uh, uh, would know that the Father loves us. So, Jesus prays for the witness of God's people, uh, to Jesus' coming from God in heaven, and to how much the Father loves us. For those of us who are new, sometimes 
we do a thing whereby we'll have a little pause and talk together and, uh, about what we've heard. I've got three questions for us. You might want to turn and in twos, threes or fours um, talk about all or some of these questions. We'll have about three or four minutes. Um, if you'd rather sit and listen, uh, absolutely fine. Let's have three or four minutes just to think about these questions. Thank you. Dear friends, please... 
continue your conversations uh, later uh, over coffee and tea. We're just now going to move on to our third point. Uh, Let's hear the third way uh, that Jesus is praying. He prays for the homecoming of God's people. The homecoming of God's people. It's there in verse 24. Please look down with me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Isn't that lovely? Jesus wants us to be with him. Jesus wants you to be with him. He wants the whole universal church to be with him. But he's got that slight saying goodbye at the airport feeling, I think, because he's about to go to the cross and then return to the Father in heaven. He's leaving his people behind in the world. However much Jesus is with us now by his spirit, there's no getting around the fact that he is in glory now. So Jesus today is still looking forward to that day when he gets to bring us home to be with him. Jesus wants you to be with him. He wants us all to see his glory, the splendour of the shepherd king. After Emily and I got engaged, uh, she buzzed off to Africa for five months of work. Uh, Misery. (laughs) but um, I went out after a period of time to visit um, for a week halfway through which was lovely but then there was that bittersweet goodbye moment at the airport again when my visit was over and I just wanted Emily to come back to England to get married to me to be with me where I was living in Eastbourne in my house being on the phone was not going to cut the mustard Yes, there was a sweetness to our engaged relationship. But my eyes were set on our future life together. And it's exactly the same as Jesus' experience and why he prays for the homecoming of God's people. In verse 22, we see how Jesus, through his apostles' message, has given us his glory The gospel does actually make us one. The gospel does have a transforming, humbling, uniting effect on us. But sometimes we're just painfully aware that our experience of life in our churches isn't what we hope for. Maybe it's just a bit disappointing. Brothers and sisters, there is a now and a not yet in our experience of church unity. We, we have a taste of it now, but we, we long for so much more. The church is not yet what she will be. And our Lord knows this. And in verse 24, he prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. He's looking forward to that day when we'll be with him where he is and we'll see his glory. And it'll transform us in an instant to be like him 
and we will be united perfectly on that day. Not now. Not yet. On that day, we'll experience that unity that we have by faith now. On that day, we'll be comforted together from the divisions and disappointments that we might have experienced in church life. In this age, as we've stumbled through life together. So, we can have hope in the face of any tensions now, because that day is coming. We don't need to give in to cynicism about our church life together now, because that day is coming. In the gospel, we have seen Jesus' glory, and it's given us a taste of church unity. But Jesus prays for us to see his glory fully, because he too looks forward to the future day when we'll become that church that Jesus died for us to be. His dear people, his united people, perfectly at home with her saviour. Let's pray together. And when he calls us, it will be paradise, his face forever to behold. Oh, Lord Jesus, we echo your prayer and we long to uh, to behold your face, uh, to be with you, to see your glory of the shepherd king. So, Father, please answer the son's prayer. Uh, Please send him to return. And Spirit, in the meantime, please, would you do your work of uh, making us become more like what we are in our life as a church together. For your name's sake. Amen.